Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the PropG Markets podcast. For nearly two years, PropG Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high-flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, PropG Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer... It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? All right, welcome to the debut edition of What the Heck on MMAfighting.com. My name is Mike Heck. I'm your host. Thank you very much for watching on the MMA Fighting YouTube page or listening wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a, a very interesting and chaotic time in the world as we're in the middle of a global pandemic. The coronavirus has essentially turned the world upside down. And I think like myself, we're doing what we can to stay positive, stay healthy, Stay grateful. So we hope this show can be somewhat of an escape valve for all of you who are fans of the sport and beyond, as it's my goal to bring you conversations with some of the big names, some of the rising stars, the newsmakers, if you will, in the sport of mixed martial arts. And I'm excited to be able to give that to you every Thursday, starting this week on MMAfighting.com. So for those who don't know, I just began with MMA fighting a little less than two weeks ago, and it's still pretty surreal to me to see my name on a website that I've gone to daily for so many years now. I mean, I come from a broadcasting background. I was on an afternoon radio show as a host for a local radio station here in Western Massachusetts where I'm recording right now and on the side. I was interviewing fighters, freelancing, and just grinding away because I've always enjoyed talking to really anybody involved in this crazy sport of ours, building those relationships, et cetera. So to be able to have this opportunity to be a part of this incredible team at MMA Fighting, it's something that I am very appreciative of and something that I will never take for granted. And I remember when I announced the news on my first day with the company, there was one comment that stuck out to me. It said, congrats, but just don't suck. And for some weird reason, that comment is still ingrained in my mind because I've wanted a chance to show the world what I can do for a long time, and my plan is to suck as little as possible for everybody, plus add a great lineup of shows, or add to the great lineup of shows we have already have here at MMAfighting.com, like the A-Side live chat, which is right now Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have the great Eurobash show with P.T. Carroll and Niall McGrath, which launches every Tuesday. Both are great shows, and I highly, highly recommend both of them, but... Uh, this show will have me on it, but it's not going to be about me. It's about the fighters, the guests who are going to come on the show. And I'm very happy to be talking with each of these individuals this week. So here is the lineup for this inaugural edition of What the Heck. Later on the show, we're going to speak with Mickey Gall. It's been a while since anyone has heard from him. He had a couple of fights scheduled over the last few months with Carlos Condit, then with Alex Oliveira. None of those happened. So we're going to catch up with Mickey Gall and see what life has been like for him these days, including making a brief, very brief cameo in the new Mark Wahlberg flick, Spencer Confidential. Earlier this week, I got the chance to chat with Dominic Cruz, the former UFC Bantamweight champion. He's looking to return to action in 2020 after being out for over three years. And 
If you don't know by now, he was linked to a fight with Corey Sanhagen on May 16th in San Diego. Who knows if that card's even going to happen at this point, but he wanted to come on and clear some things up in regards to those rumors. We're also going to chat with Valerie Lareda, the Bellator MMA women's uh, flyweight fighter. She broke out in a big way in 2019. She was a big part of Yuani and Jacek's training camp for that epic battle at UFC 248 against Zhang Wei Li. We'll chat with Master Valerie Lareda later on in the program. But first... We kick things off with the lead play-by-play voice of the UFC, a conversation with the great John Anik. But honestly, there is no other way that I wanted to kick off this new era, this fresh coat of paint we are applying to this space. When we figured out what we were going to do with the show, I knew exactly who I wanted as my first guest. And what better time than in the middle of a hectic news week to bring on the play-by-play voice of the USC, a, a fellow born and bred Bostonian. You can catch the Anik and Florian podcast on Mondays with this man, John Anik. Great to have you here. How are you, man? Thank you for doing this. Well, I, I am doing okay, man. Day by day, I think like the rest of the world. But congratulations to you and uh, happy to sort of uh, christen the show, so to speak, my man. Always good to chat with you. Absolutely. We are creating bar trivia questions, John. First guest in the history of the show. That's right. I'll take it. Absolutely. Joe Rogan was not available today, so, you know, you make do. He told he told me to get you on, so I had to take his advice. (laughs) So I have we were talking a little bit off air about this. I have one kid running around during this pandemic and we're keeping him active, but he can be a bit of a handful. You're probably hearing that and you're probably like, one kid? Grow up, dude. Like, how has life been in the Anik household in the middle of all this? You know, not easy. I mean, I I don't want to leave the league in complaints right now. I think all (laughs) things considered, we have it pretty good. And I know my daughters, at least one of them likes the fact that daddy has been home for a while. Uh, But it's tough. You know, my daughters are eight and almost seven and it's day 19 of what has essentially been total isolation. I mean, we're taking them outside and making them run, which they don't like. And thankfully, we live in Florida, so there's a pool. Uh, but I think they're starting to hit a little bit of a breaking point socially. They, they certainly miss their friends and it's making them appreciate school, which I think long-term is a good thing, right? They want to go to school, which isn't always the case, but yeah, we got a baby too. So, uh, certainly have our hands full homeschooling to the best of our ability. And I think like a lot of UFC staffers, candidly, uh, waiting for that call from Dana, uh, to find out where this show is going to be. So I can either get in a car or, uh, figure out what my next move is, you know? Dear, do the older kids, do they, do they understand what's happening right now? Cause my son just, just thinks he's home from school. He doesn't really understand what's going on. I think they do maybe more so, uh, the older one than, uh, my middle child, but I think things pop up when they're on the iPad. And if she clicks on an article, maybe reads a little bit about it. I, I think she heard even when schools were open, that maybe young people were, uh, less prone to get super sick. So I think she hung on that a little bit as sort of some positive thing. Uh, but it's tough. I just think that a lot of kids crave routine, not unlike adults. And when that is taken away from them, uh, it's a weird transition, but we're going through it. We're conditioned to do it another probably eight weeks or so. And, uh, you know, just trying to make the best of it as uh, everybody's doing around the world, you know. You mentioned waiting for that call to come from Dana White in the UFC. Has it just been a weird time for you as a broadcaster, the play-by-play guy for the UFC? I mean, you understand what's happening here, sure, but, you know, we're looking at this stretch of time on the calendar very closely last year. Multiple events, a lot of right. fascinating matchups were booked prior to this pandemic. From that side of your life, has it just been kind of strange? 
it has been strange to not have a show on the books to know exactly which 26 fighters I need to prepare for next. I've only missed one show, right? The Columbus, Ohio show three or four days ago was the only show that has gone off my schedule. So I have had pockets of time where maybe I'll have two or three weeks off in a row and then do a rip of six or seven out of eight weeks or something like that. So I'm conditioned to a little bit of the breathers, but yeah, to not have a show on the books is a super weird feeling. And I've said this in interviews sort of over the last week or so, there's a lot of us present company included and perhaps foremost in some cases who have maybe pined for a UFC offseason. man, if we just shut it down for the month of September, when, when college football and the NFL are peaking and then come back October 1st, it'll be the most watched show in UFC history. Give the staff a chance to, to catch their breath and everybody who covers the sport. I wanted that off season. Now I'm not so sure I do, you know, having a month off, I'm, I'm Jonesing to hit the road and, and hopefully, you know, all things considered and everybody's health considered it sooner rather than later. Yeah, because you're obviously a big sports fan, a very intelligent sports fan like myself, since our teams win championships almost every year. And, huh. you know, you've seen all these major sports shutting down, waiting for this to pass. But you look at Dana White in the UFC and he wants to keep this train going. You've known the big boss for a long time now, John. Are you surprised by this? No, not at all. Right. He, he's bullish. He's relentless. He is in pursuit of this fight for more reasons than what. I mean, I don't have to sell your audience on the magnitude and the importance of this singular fight in terms of UFC lightweight history and UFC history overall. Uh, but when you couple that with the backdrop that it's been made five times, you can understand why there's a huge promotional urgency to make sure this fight happens on April 18th. Now that it looks as though Khabib Nurmagomedov is not going to be able to uh, get out of Russia, maybe I'm a little surprised that they still seem to be all in because all indications are that that fight has gone away. Um, but, you know, I was... I had trepidation, certainly when I got the call for that March 21st show, maybe it was going to be Oklahoma. I didn't really know how I was going to get there or leave once I got there. Um, but now I feel like it's kind of my obligation that if the fighters are willing to be there and we can all get tested, then I got to make an effort to be there. Right. I mean, if you're thinking about it from a fighter standpoint and everything they have to deal with training elements, everything displaced, weight cutting, everything that goes into it for them kind of feel like at this point for me on an individual level, the least I can do is try to show up to an edit trailer or wherever they want me to call this fight and, and, you know, try to be of service. Yeah. It's been this weird relationship turn between the media and Dana White. I don't think we've always seen eye to eye anyways. I mean, there's a lot of media media members that have been all over Dana about putting this event on. I haven't really been one of those people. I mean, do I think these events should be put on during this time? Probably not. However, I do understand that nobody is going into this blind. Like this isn't that church I read about in Florida where the pastor basically said, screw the rules. We're not changing a thing. 500 people come pandemic or not. I'm right. sure the due diligence, John, is ongoing and has been for a long time. The UFC doesn't obviously want egg on their face if someone gets infected. So I see both sides for sure. But I also think it's totally fair for members of the media who are more versed on this virus than I am to yeah. ask those questions. I mean, this can be a negative space. And in my opinion, maybe it will be less negative should there be a little more clarity on the situation. Am I off base with that? Right. No. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of fans who say you shouldn't be Jones in to call a fight. You need to stay home. And Dana White assured our entire staff uh, very early on in the process that if you need anything medically, that he was here for you. And I know that gave my wife and everybody else sort of some semblance of security. But like, does my wife want me to get on a plane and go to Abu Dhabi right now? Does she want me to drive to Las Vegas? There are so many unknowns. The situation is so fluid and ever changing on a day to day basis that it's hard to know what 
the next move is going to be, what the right move is going to be. You know, I'm not trying to put a bunch of people in danger. I've essentially been shut down away from all human beings for three weeks. But certainly if I'm going to breathe, be breathing the same air as the fighters, you would think I got to be tested, you know. Uh, so there are a lot of different elements to this. But uh, I do think that you emotionally you kind of ebb and flow a little bit, at least as an employee thinking, man, I, I hope they cancel these shows because I really can't leave my kids and leave my family because then I got to quarantine and come back. And then you get to a place maybe a few days later where it's like, I got to get out of here. I'm having cabin fever. I want to support Dane in the UFC and work a show. So um, just trying to stay in my lane and, uh, you know, do things like this and stay busy, keep the mind sharp and uh, whatever promotionally they decide and are able to pull off. Uh, hopefully the staff can, you know, help them execute it. I spoke to Dominic Cruz this week, who is scheduled to join you on the desk for UFC yeah. 249. And he is fired up, to say the least, to call that event. Not only does right. he want yeah. this event to move forward, but he feels like this would be a huge victory for the sport of MMA. Putting this event on would hype up the entire world, and it's doing something that other sports are not. Do you agree with that sentiment? No, I mean, I wouldn't see this as a win for mixed martial arts. I think a lot of people are on the firm opposite side of that and think it would be a win if the UFC fell in line with everybody else and just shut things down, you know, indefinitely. Uh, but, you know, they did the show in Brasilia. Granted, everybody was there at the time. You can be sure that this well-oiled machine that is the UFC and this brass executives have thought about logistically how best to pull this off. You know, announcers in edit trailers, minimizing the people that are gathered under one roof, you know, shuffling the fighters in and out. I mean, you got to think they've been immersing themselves in trying to pull off the impossible for weeks now, uh, if not a full month. So I have every bit of confidence that they will, you know, check every box and try to make it as healthy and, and proficient an event as possible. I know in sort of texting with Chael Sonnen to pull off an event for him was a huge, huge challenge, but they were able to get through it. We'll see uh, however unscathed. But uh, yeah, I don't see it as this huge win for MMA if you can pull it off. But certainly in my heart, I'm hoping that Dana and the brass is able to do so for sure. We may not have had any fight cards in the last couple of weeks, but the news cycle hasn't slowed down at all. You mentioned yeah. Habib Nurmagomedov pretty much stuck in Russia. The the chances of that fight with Tony Ferguson happening pretty much slim to none at this point from from right. all, all, all senses of it all. I thought it would be the nail in the coffin. Looks like it won't be like you mentioned when you woke up Monday morning and heard about that Instagram live. How did you react to it? Well, I can't say I'm surprised by any headline waking up. You know, it's almost like you open your cell phone or whatever your news feed is, and you're just hoping uh, that there isn't something terrible in terms of the death toll or anything else. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised, I guess, because I thought Khabib was moving closer to maybe where the fight was going to go down. And I think that's the danger in all of this. And the fluidity of it is such that it does change in 24 hours. And I think Khabib thought he was getting ahead of it and and probably in retrospect should have stayed put. But again, as we're sitting here, Mike, on March 31st, we don't know if this event's going to be in the United States. We don't know the extent to which Justin Gaethje was preparing for April 18th. You know, I have heard from one of his teammates that he has been in the gym. And, and you got to think that if anybody was tabbed as a backup or told to get ready even before the coronavirus reared its ugly head, it was Gaethje. So we'll see if he's prepared. We'll see if he accepts the fight. You know, what's the upside for Tony? I think the biggest disappointment for me in all of this is that Tony Ferguson 
somehow, some way, April 18th is not going to be competing for an undisputed UFC championship. The fact that it might be an interim belt again just seems totally absurd with the body of work that Ferguson has put on paper. But uh, there are a lot of athletes that want to fight. You know, we talk a lot about this singular fight, but you know all too well, Mike, we got five fight cards from March 21st through April 25th. And there are a lot of big names and high-profile athletes littered across those fight cards. So, you know, the cupboard certainly is not bare. There are a lot of high-profile guys who want to fight on April 18th, and uh, we just got to see if they can sort of make it a line. I feel like medicals are going to be an issue. You know, there's so many hurdles to get to April 18th, um, but hopefully we can get there. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to see some of the names that sort of stepped up to the plate yesterday. Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington want to fight each other. Dustin Poirier threw his name in the hat. Even Kamara Usman and Jorge Masvidal have raised their hands to compete on that card. There are fighters out there that, you know, they, they need to fight to, to put money in the bank and pay for camps and put food on the table. This is everything to them. But when you see some of these bigger names who have had some good paydays over the last couple of years, champions, former champions, main event guys stepping up to the plate to fight, what does that say about the sport in your opinion? Well, I think that a lot of these athletes make good show money and they understand that if in three weeks they can show up, they can realize a six, if not seven figure payday. So that's certainly part of the equation. I also think there are a lot of high profile fighters that maybe will inject their name into the conversation, even if they have no intention of competing on April 18th, just to be in the news and to be a part of that conversation. In this day and age, all you need to do as a relevant top five fighter at 55 or 70 when this news breaks is push out a tweet uh, and all of a sudden you're in the mix and and podcasts and shows are talking about you. So I don't know how many of those high-profile fighters really want to fight Tony Ferguson on short notice. You got to think Tyron Woodley certainly is trained and ready to go, but it doesn't surprise me from this roster. You know, I do think to a man, to a woman, you know, most of them do want to fight. I know that's aligned inexorably with the paycheck and the financial gain, but I do think a lot of these athletes are are craving the normalcy that most professionals are and, and feel like just getting a fight in would, would give them that normalcy and make them feel like life has resumed course a little bit, you know. I know Monday is on the Anakin Foreign podcast. You bring on the great Ray Longo for the Ray Longo Minute, and I know – you like to press Ray for a nugget or two on that show when you have the opportunity. And most times he gives you nothing. Sometimes yeah. that wheel squeaks just a little bit, yeah, John. And right. I know Florida has been discussed. Other places, reservations possibly are in the mix. So from one Bostonian to another, to a guy who, from a guy who used to listen to 1510 The Zone, John, a radio station you were a part you. of. That's have right. you heard anything at all on location? Yes, uh, but it's not anything that I can share. I can't tell you if it's U.S. or international right now as we sit here, you know, 19 days out, but there have been some conversations. I do think that the UFC is gauging certain staff members to get our appetite to work a show. You know, would you be willing to work a show? And uh, certainly the answer was yes. I mean, obviously, if the call comes in that that's Abu Dhabi, there's a conversation that has to happen with my family before uh, before we take that plunge. But uh, we'll see what happens, man. You know, Longo's scared, right? And Longo's never scared. You know, I, when he's concerned, I'm concerned, you know, and granted, he's in the epicenter in New York. And, you know, we're praying for California and hoping that it doesn't trend on that New York trajectory. You know, Florida, where I am right now, is supposed to be an absolute mess. I know the spring breakers are getting a hard time out there, but I do think statewide down here. You know, when I go out to get my baby boy produce every week or so, you know, once a week. 
I'm like the only one wearing a mask and gloves. So, you know, I don't know how seriously people are taking it down here. I don't know nationally how seriously people are taking it. Hopefully they are. Um, and hopefully that we can resume our lives in a couple months and not six months. But, uh, I don't know, man, I think Vegas from a UFC standpoint makes the most sense, you know, find a way to get that apex opened up and just start cranking some of these shows every few days. And, uh, you know, get these fighters what they uh, what they want. I don't know if you're really in a position to answer this question, but I asked Dominic when I spoke to him earlier this week to rate on a scale of one to ten how likely it will be that UFC 249 happens. He gave it an eight. What say you? Well, I've been saying always bet on Dana, right? If you're giving me a choice of betting on Dana White to make this show happen or not, where do I sign? You know, where do I get action on Dana White? So I think eight is probably uh, I'm probably aligned with Dominic Cruz. I really feel like this fight is going to happen um, because I think Dana is committed and convinced it is. And uh, I was also encouraged by the fact that he mentioned multiple international and domestic possibilities. So it seems like they do have some options. I think the biggest challenge uh, if they want to do a, a 13 fight card is just to get 26 athletes you know, in the right matchups approved and to whatever your destination is. But uh, I feel pretty convicted here th less than three weeks out that somehow, some way on April 18th from somewhere in the world, I'll be calling a fight. Do you think it's possible maybe like a WrestleMania two type situation where we broadcast from multiple locations? Do you think that's even a possibility at this point? Has that been discussed in your in your mind? Well, I don't see why you couldn't do a broadcast in Los Angeles and have Joe Rogan be a part of it, right? I mean, it's been done before. Uh, I called the WBC Heavyweight Championship of the World between Vitaly Klitschko and Shannon Briggs from Bristol, Connecticut back in the day, and that fight took place in Germany. So it certainly can be done. It's not ideal uh, from a commentary perspective. Uh, you certainly feed off of that crowd noise. And even when there's no crowd there, I do think you feed off of whatever that live event at atmosphere is. I think being in an arena with the athletes gives it an urgency that is hard to duplicate uh, in a controlled setting like an edit trailer or uh, a studio. But uh, I'm ready to go. I'm hoping they call my number. I'm hoping it's within driving distance. I'll drive from Florida to Las Vegas if I have to. But, uh, you know, whatever it takes to uh, to support the promotion and to support the fighters is kind of my thesis statement on it. I know a lot of people think we should be shutting it down, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But uh, if my number gets called, I'm going to show up. Of course, uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the latest chapter to the story of John Jones, UFC light heavyweight champion. Man, I mean, watching that video of the arrest, it was just, uh, it, it was really tough to watch. But uh, what a tough pill to swallow last week to see that news, was it not? It's just sad. It's sad, right? Uh, it's embarrassing for his daughters, I think, mostly, right? They're not getting any younger. And as they get older and as he looks like he's turning over a new leaf or starting to turn the page and becoming an active champion for the UFC as he was doing late 2018 into 2019, looked like maybe he was going to be able to toe that straight and narrow. And obviously that was not the case. And I think for me, sad is just the emotion, right? Because I really do like the guy. If you're only judging him based upon personal interaction, He's basically been consistent and genuine with me since I met him in his hotel room in 2011, the day he foiled a robbery before beating Shogun to win the belt. You know, that was the first time I met the guy. We've always had a good relationship. And uh, I think for me, I just see I'm a girl dad. I see a father of daughters. It makes me very sad. You know, it was hard to watch that officer cam footage. It really was uh 
you know, I just hope that he can somehow find it within him to uh, to turn the sadness and the anger uh, into something positive. And uh, he's got a good support system. He's got a team. You know, I feel bad for that team that uh, has stood by him and hasn't necessarily reaped the rewards at times that they thought they would. But, uh, you know, I'm hopeful for John Jones, but he's going to have to put in the effort if he really wants to affect change. And uh, sometimes you got to bottom out to really change something. And I think he bottomed out a few days ago. Yeah, well said. It's a uh, it's just a tough situation. Um, I wanted to bring this up. I, I got a message on Sunday from a young man named Ian Parker. He had uh, went on our website, saw our piece about Max Holloway and Wonderboy Thompson putting out funny videos. Max did one to the Full House theme, and yeah. Now I saw the video you guys did with the Family Matters theme. It was just amazing. But Ian thought we should have given you guys credit first, and I told him I would address this with you on the show. Do you think Ian's out of his mind for even bringing this up to me? Or do you agree with him for the first time in the history of ever? I know. Yeah, we disagree a lot. That's for sure. <laughs> so what is this a battle for credit? Because Cody Merrow, our, our chief marketing officer, was the originator of this right. video. Um, so, so Ian, what, it's a battle for credit. Is that what's going on? Yeah. He thinks that we should have credited you guys for doing a video and then Max Holloway didn't even do the same song. Like it was a different oh, song. Oh, I understand. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I know there was an NBA on ESPN video that had the exact same song and, uh, looked like a straight ripoff, but, uh, I try to stay in my lane, Mike, you know, you're saving the hard <laughs> questions for last, you know, but, uh, <laughs> Hey, no issue for me. You know, when someone calls and says, Hey, can it's, you know, we're flattered anytime anybody thinks we're doing something right. But uh, hopefully with uh, our new CMO, we're moving in the right direction, you know. Yeah, he's got that Julian Edelman creativity bug going on with us. Uh, sure. And a lot of time on his hands, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, last thing, John, I, I yeah, appreciate man. the time very much. We've got a lot of time with our families. We're trying to find different ways to, to stay active and stay motivated. And it's put a, a lot of us in a state of reflection, state of appreciation and just learning more about ourselves. What are, what are some of the things you've learned about yourself through all this? And will there be any little or even big changes that, that you'll change once we get back to normal? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if these will be long-term wholesale changes. I'm certainly using fewer paper towels. You know, I'm drying my hands on my shirt, right? So the paper towel usage has gone through the floor, which is a good thing. I'm cooking and cleaning like crazy, so I do think the cooking will probably carry over. Not that I'm any good at it, but uh, I can follow a recipe kind of to a T at this point. But in terms of the family time, I'm sort of an introvert living in a, an extroverted world and profession. So I spend a lot of time with my core five, my family of five. So for us, getting that extra time hasn't been an issue. It's been a, a hugely positive thing. And uh you know, I think it's going to be interesting. I am Jones into like hug a friend, right? Like, I think it's going to be interesting going back on the UFC roadshow, this circus of staff, you know, I show up at an event, you know, hugs and handshakes 50 deep. And now it seems like we won't necessarily have that connection indefinitely or be making that connection. So I think, uh, a lot is going to change at least in the short term, but, uh, at least for us, you know, cooking and cleaning for me and eating a little cleaner, uh, not, you know, we're not ordering out, um, Maybe I can uh, make that a long-term fix. We'll, we'll have to see. What have you been able to, uh, to 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 place bets on these days, John? Has that been a tough time for you as well in that aspect? Yeah, you know, I haven't had much action. I mean, horse racing here or there. You know, I didn't bet on Jeopardy despite the tweet about seeing <laughs> value on the middle contestant plus 175. But I've basically been betting on sports every day in some capacity since the late 1990s. So I need to scratch that itch at some point. But uh, 
you know, I had a big win on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, so maybe that's carrying over a little bit and making me okay, shutting it down. But uh, I'm not scrounging for horse racing when I wake up every day like some of my contemporaries are. I'll put it to you that way. You're the man, John. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. All the best to you and the family. Stay healthy and safe and selfishly. I can't wait to hear your voice on a UFC broadcast whenever that day comes. I appreciate the time, man. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you and, and to your whole staff, obviously. I'm a big fan of everything that you guys do and a lot of those folks uh, in front of the camera and behind the scenes. So thank you for having me and uh, stay he healthy and stay safe, especially on the coast out there of the USA. Right back at you, man. Thank you. All right, buddy. My pleasure. All right, that was a great John Anik, ladies and gentlemen. As of this moment, he will be calling the action for UFC 249 on April 18th in location TBD with main event TBD. Crazy times in the world, but it was uh, it was nice to see yesterday that the fighters who were supposed to compete on that London card around two or so weeks ago were being paid their show money. That was great to see for sure, and hopefully that trend can continue as we move ahead to our next interview. We're going to talk to. Master Valerie Lareda. She's trying to keep everyone entertained during these crazy times, but uh, if she can keep evolving and rattling off wins, could be a big 2020 for Valerie Lareda as well. So here's that conversation right now. All right, we move ahead to our next guest. She is a member of the Bellator MMA Women's Flyweight Division. She made her pro debut last year, picked up just a, an emotional finish win of Colby Fletcher at Bellator 216, followed that up with an absolute banger of a fight against Larkin Dash, picking up a unanimous decision win at MSG back in June. Let us introduce Valerie Lareda. Valerie, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm good, and you very honored and happy to be here with you guys today. Well, thank you for being part of the show. The first question is, how are you doing in the middle of this coronavirus craziness we have going on? If people follow you on social media, they know that you're trying to at least make the most of it, but uh -huh. how are you dealing with everything going on in the world right now? Honestly, I'm extremely happy. I'm living my best life. Um, my training has completely changed, obviously, because American top team is closed, but I'm making the most of it. And more importantly, I'm spending time with my family at home. And I think this is a good break that all of us need. And also, it's time to heal up my injuries and get my weight down. So I'm, I'm just really recovering mentally and physically until this quarantine's over. When we're in these positions, oftentimes we, we play around with different things. We try to learn new things, try things we wanted to try but haven't had the time to do yet. Have you had the chance to dive into anything new since we've been on, a, on this lockdown of sorts? Honestly, um. So I was on the reality show last year after my second Bellator fight. And on that show, I learned about social distancing, right? So all of this is happening and I'm very used to it. And I think this is the healthiest um, thing that could happen to a human being. Obviously, it's very important to me, all the people that have passed away because of the coronavirus. But being at home, um, a little break from the sport mentally and physically, it's, I think it's very relaxing um spending time with my family is very important um not going out of my house because my mom has underlying conditions and my grandpa's 90 90 years old so i'm just really trying to stay home um just do different physical activities i've been doing f45 with my sister um i've been running a lot you know it really it forces you to open your eyes and just adventure to brand new things because all we know is fighting how is the rest of your family handling everything going on? Are they are they scared? Are they frightened? How is how's that been going? The thing is that my family situation is a little different because my mom is a leukemia survivor and she had a bone marrow transplant. So although her immune system is better now, it will never be the same. 
and my grandpa's 90 year old is 90 year old at home so i'm just being very careful with them and um i've been staying in my apartment in coconut creek um in order to just avoid anything that maybe could interfere with their quarantine but um i've been going back and forth making sure they're okay but honestly my mom has an underlying condition my grandpa as well my little sister has asthma so i'm just being extremely careful with them well, fighting obviously runs in the family. Your mom seems like a fighter. How motivating is that for you, seeing the fight that she's had and being able to overcome all of that? Yeah, well, my mom uh, fought to be there for me and my two sisters. You know, she fought for her life, literally. And um, I always say that if my mom was able to fight and battle a sickness like that, I could fight through anything in my life. Like, nothing is pain watching what my mom had to go through um, at that age. So let's talk about what happened for you last year. You made that pro debut for Bellator in February. You had that big finish over Colby Fletcher, and you were very emotional after that win. Can you even put into words what that night meant to you, what that moment was like for you when the fight was stopped? Honestly, um, I'm passion-driven, right? And that debut was so emotional for me because I've been fighting Taekwondo since I was two years old, three years old. And this was my professional professional debut and a completely different sport in a cage. Um, really, that was a moment that I proved to myself that you have what it takes. You could fight in an octagon and you just, you love the crowd, you love the audience, you're an entertainer, right? And to open a main card as my professional debut is unheard of. And I did it with the first round knockout. I mean, the lights, the cameras, it just, I love it. The pressure, I, I just, I, I perform well under pressure and... That was the most emotional day of my life. And I was able to spend that with my dad. And my dad, of course, was crying too. Like, this is our team. We're the Loretta family. We're, we've had a school in Miami for 34 years. Like, this is, we breathe, eat, sleep, martial arts. So it felt like for the first time in our life, um, the Loretta name was being recognized for the way it deserved. What was the reason, if you don't mind me asking, that you wanted to parlay the the martial arts lifestyle that you've learned since you were two years old into a crazy sport like MMA and getting locked into a cage and, and get into a fight with another woman like that? I mean, the thing is that I never in my life thought I was going to go into MMA. I always saw it and I was like, oh, what like I, I didn't even pay attention to it until one day. I was at the Taekwondo uh, Nationals in Fort Lauderdale, and Yoel Romero was fighting that night. And I think I saw um, Michelle Watterson, or there were some girls fighting on the card, and my sister was sitting next to me, and I looked at the screen, and, like, I remember I had goosebumps. Like, I just, I was upset. I was upset. I looked at my sister, I go, Nati, I could do that, Nati. Nothing. We've been doing martial arts. I'm like nothing. That's easy for me. Like I could do that easily. Like I knew I had no grounds. But the thing is that growing up, my dad, he used to put us to wrestle and stuff. So like I had some grounds background when I was little. A lot of people don't know that. And I'm just a very aggressive fighter. I just I had a feeling that MMA was for me. The next weekend, I was in a jujitsu class and I was I had natural scrambles. And then three four months later, I already did my amateur debut. So your pro debut is kicking off a main card, and then your second pro fight, you're fighting at Madison Square Garden. Now, I'm a lot older than you are, Valerie, and I've been hearing about the mystique and the greatness of MSG since I was a little kid. Athletes dream about competing at Madison Square Garden. As a 20-year-old at the time, did MSG have that same glamour, that fascination in your eyes heading into that fight? Just knowing that 
idols like Muhammad Ali have bought there. You know, I, I wake up and I look at this poster every day. I have it framed in my house. So for me, that was the biggest honor that I could share as a martial artist with other fighters who have been and performed there as well. But I didn't let the, the Madison Square Garden aspect of it get to me. You know, I thought of it as any other fight. I just, I was honored to have the opportunity to perform in the world's most famous arena in the world. You hurt Larkin Dash multiple times in that fight, but you were able to say, stay very composed. You weren't too overly aggressive with it. How much did you take yeah. away from fighting somebody like that who just wouldn't go away? She, she was just an annoying person to fight with. You know what I mean? Like, she was just like, I don't know. Like, I went into that fight and like, I, I, I hit her hard and she wouldn't go down. Like, she was strong. Like, but the thing is, I was also really excited because I needed that ring time. I needed those three, five minute rounds. I needed to just, just do what I have to do to win and just entertain like I always do. So I was at the end of it, I was like a little upset because obviously I wanted to finish. But now that I look back, I'm very happy that that fight turned out that way because my experience now, like that ring time is something that you can't buy anywhere. You know, you could only get that through experience fighting in the cage. So I'm happy about that. And I learned a lot from that fight. I fought a lefty. That was on a week's notice. Like, I'm crazy. I don't know. I just took it. I'm like, I'm fighting Madison Square Garden. Put anybody in front of me. <laughs> You you mentioned going on the reality show. It was the same show that, that Jorge Masvidal was a part of, and that experience seemed to have changed his entire life, not just in the octagon, but just personally and, and how he approaches life. Do you feel like some of that mystique that, that Jorge was able to take off of that show, do you feel like some of that will rub off on you? Is that a little bit of a motivating factor for you to be a part of it? I mean, when I spoke to Jorge about it, it's just like, the thing is that on the show, you're completely isolated, right? So you have no communication with your family, with anybody, you're there and like, you don't even have martial arts to train with, so like you make the most of it. Kind of like what we're doing now in quarantine is what I went through on the show, right? So um, it just being away from reality for three months allows you to really understand and recognize what do you want in your life? Like, what is it that I'm passionate about? Like, where do I want to get to and how am I going to do it? You know, and you learn to appreciate and value things that you don't have anymore, for example. I was there in Exatlon punching the trees and stuff. And all I would think about is like, I, I, I wish I had a boxing bag, a kicking bag. I was able to take my gloves. My gloves were broken up everywhere. Like it just teaches you a lot about life and appreciating the little things. And I remember when I first got off the show, I was all I wanted to do. Like, I remember my first kickboxing class when I, I got back, like I got eliminated on a Sunday and they flew me down. And on Wednesday, I showed up like by surprise American top team. And like, I've never felt more satisfaction and just, just blessed to do what I do and how much I love what I do. So definitely, yes, hopefully my next fight, I win in five seconds with a flying knee, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just really looking forward to being in the cage because I'm truly, this is what I love. This is who I am. Because you were supposed to fight on that January card against Tara Graf. Oh, I was Graf. supposed to, yes. But yeah, what, can, can you talk about what happened there? No, I had, I had an injury while on the show. Um, I had an injury on my left foot and they couldn't clear me. And apart from that, I sprained my MCL. So um, I was a little messed up. And plus, mentally and physically, I had gotten back from the show at the end of November, right? And then I hadn't seen my family 
for three months. I hadn't seen, like, like I got back. It was my sister's birthday. It was Christmas and stuff. And for the first time, I was like, okay, Valerie, you need to fix your injuries and not fight, like, that crazy. And spend time with your family. You know, you just went on a show. Like, I was beat up. I had, I was on antibiotics. Like, it was just a lot for me to handle. And a lot of, like, looking back in the show, like, I had just gone through war on a separate show, show, so when I got back, I'm like, wait, I need to chill, I need to start training the right way, like, I can't just go into a fight like that, especially if I was injured, so, um, I made the decision, and I hate doing this, that I had to back out of the fight, and I wanted to fight now, but not all of this, so, I don't know, I'm taking it day by day, and I'm doing the best I can, but honestly, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life, and, I'm doing a lot. My weight's good. My training's good. My knee's getting 100%. So I'm doing well. So it's almost like a blessing to, to, you don't want to pull out of fights. It's kind of a bummer, but at the same time, it's more of a blessing for you, was it not? Of course I wanted to fight in the form. I was so excited. I was there. I was like, well, I'm injured, but I want to go. <laughs> so I went and that was, and Cyborg was on that card. So I was really happy for Bellator. That's amazing press and Cyborg's with us. So, um, Nothing else. I was really sad. It was bittersweet, but I had to do what I had to do for myself for the first time in my life and not please everybody but me. We saw Bellator just cancel their next three events. They canceled the event a few weeks back at Mohegan Sun, hours before it was supposed to start. And Scott Coker's been universally praised for how he's handled the situation. What have you made with how Bellator has been approaching this year with COVID-19 compared to, say, others in the space? Let me tell you. And I will say this from the beginning, I am diehard Bellator. Like I, apart from Scott Poker, like just everybody in the production, everybody that works for Bellator, like they treat their fighters so amazing. I am so grateful for the way they've treated me in this year that I've been with them. And when I saw what Scott did to his athletes, like I just, he is such a respectable man and I just look up to him so much. And I'm just so honored to be one of the fighters under his roster. But what he did is amazing. And I feel like every other person and every other organization should be treating the same way because we're fighters, you know, this is the way we live. And like a lot of them have kids and stuff and like this, is, like they literally live off of fighting. So um, without this, you know, a lot of people don't have jobs. You know, some people like work at night too and they train in the mornings and now they don't even have money from their fights. So I'm just trying to help as much as I can. And just, I'm so proud of Scott and Bellator and that whole organization. Like I love him to death. I'm super loyal to Bellator and I will be for a very long time. And um, nothing, it's just Scott's the best. He's the best of the best. So you feel they're doing the right thing here because, you know, on the other end, we're lacking entertainment, we're lacking sport, but, you know, Bellator is, is jumping the gun and, and just putting the brakes on like every other sport's doing. So you obviously agree with what they're doing? Yeah, I agree with it. You know, everybody's situation right now is really different. Like, how do you expect fighters to fight if we don't have a training camp, if we don't have training partners? You know, you don't know what partners you could trust. Um, the weight as well. A lot of people are in quarantine, like... You have to keep up training to maintain that weight low, you know? So it's it's a lot of aspects of going to being a fighter that are removed from our lives right now. And um, I just think it's very hard for any fighter. And even to fight like that without an audience, like, that's crazy. I would not be able to. I don't think so. I mean, I would do it if I had to. But just fighting without an audience, like, I live for the audience. Like, this is what I'm doing it for. I'm a performer, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's very hard. But um, I know we're all going to get to do this. 
You were in the news recently because you had come out to defend your teammate, Ioanni and Jacek, after that incredible fight with Zhang Weili at UFC 248. Just a epic battle. Ioana, you know, obviously was worse for wear. And you know how fans in the sport could be sometimes. The memes are coming out and you came out and defended her. But, you know, from a fighter's perspective, how motivating was watching that fight between Zhang Weili and Ioana and Jacek? Because that was one of those fights that people are just going to be talking about for a long, long time. Honestly, uh, I did every sparring with Joanna for that camp, and I was uh, her main sparring partner for that camp with Mike Brown and Cattell uh, and stuff. And uh, just knowing like how much I put of me, like I gave her my hundred, I gave her all of me because I really wanted her to perform the way she did, you know. So it didn't matter if I was not on weight, if I was overweight, if the night before I didn't sleep, if I was exhausted, I would show up Tuesdays and Thursdays and I will give her all of me because I knew she needed me really bad. So um, that fight was more emotional for me than anybody else because we cried together on the mat. Like, we were hurt together. Like, I would go home with bruises everywhere and, and Joanna would be like, let's go, let's go, you're champ. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we have a very different bonds. Like, I've never trained with anyone that trains like me, like Joanna. Like, Joanna and I... Like, we train alike. We just understand each other. We can curse at each other and, like, hug each other after because, like, we, like, I just gave her my 100%. So watching her performance in the fight was the most, like, beautiful thing to me because I, I, I idolize her. I look up to her so much. She gives me so much advice. Um, she always tells me I'm going to be the next champ. Like, we just understand each other. So that fight just motivated me more than anything. I mean, I did all those sparrings. I got experience from Joanna, you know, like that experience, Joanna's one of the best fighters in the world. Like that experience I got, nobody could give me like those rounds I would do with her every Tuesday and Thursday. So that fight for me was another level. And then obviously when she finished the fight, like I know how she looks like and I completely get it. And I know like people are like fans are fans, you know, on Twitter, they're terrible. Like they're going to destroy or whatever. But I feel like it got to a certain point after a while that like, that's it. Like, we're female fighters. Like, if I was in her position and I finished fighting the way she did and people, all they were talking about was the way she looks, like, I would have been pissed. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like we should stop criticizing people. Like, that that, that fight was the most entertaining fight, like, ever. Like, that, that's another level of entertainment. And I just felt bad because of the way they were making fun of her. Joanna's beautiful, you know, and... I, we're female fighters, like, no girl wants to be criticized about the way they look, so I just, I went crazy on Twitter for a little bit, and I'm sorry, but I had to do it, I love her to death, I respect all female fighters, what we put into this sport is not anybody could do it, it's very specific people who could do what we do, especially as females, it's so hard on our body, like, the toe it takes on our body, and um, just getting scratched up, bruised up, black eyes, like, just female things that we have to be on top of that this sport destroys, you know? So that was, that was that's why I went crazy. Yeah, it's it's obviously tough. It can be tough being a woman in this sport at times. I mean, you hear the cliche all the time that MMA is a man's sport. Now, for you, and listen, I'm happily married, but I have eyes to you turn heads. You're very popular on social media, Valerie. I'm not saying anything that isn't true here. With that being said, yeah, it's great to be popular and get a lot of views and go viral and stuff, but... Do you feel that it's been a challenge at times for you to be taken seriously as a fighter and a professional athlete? I mean, wait, can you see it? Yeah, there Sorry. you go. I gotta talk. Um, I mean, yes. The problem with me is that I don't post on social media because I'm an influencer. Like, 
this is who I am. Like, I am an amazing fighter, but if I don't feel pretty and feminine and elegant, like, I'm not Valerie, right? So even going into fight week, I take it like a beauty pageant because this is my beauty pageant. Like, literally, like, I have fight week, I have media week, I'm skinny, like, I don't look like this all the time. Um, I do my photo shoots, I do my interviews, but I, I like, my whole camp, I give it a hundred, like, I train harder than any other girl in this world, like, I'm so sorry to say it, I train harder than anyone, and I'm confident in that, so fight week comes, my hair's pretty, my makeup's done, I have my interviews, I have all the fight week, I make weight, but like I always do, and I don't have to suffer cutting water weight, etc., and the next day, I go out to fight with my eyelash extensions, my hair done, etc., but that's who I am, like, why can't I be both, right, and people sometimes are like, oh, she's just a social media influencer, I'm like, no, like, I've been fighting since I was two years old, okay, it's just... Throughout the years, like, I also have other um, passions, right? So I do movies, I do acting, I do entertainment. Like, I was a dancer my whole life. You know, I'm a, I'm a normal woman, except I was born into fighting. I was born for war. Like, my body structure, I was born for war. My dad, like, this goes way back for many ages in my family. Like, I was born into sport. My whole family were all black belts, right? So it's very hard for me to be taken seriously. But honestly, I just think it's just time. You know, like as, as like as long as I keep winning fights, like that's all that matters. Everybody will shut up. Like, and I'm gonna be both. I'm gonna be the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm gonna be the most badass fighter in the world. But it's got to be such a freeing feeling to be as comfortable with yourself as you are. I mean, a lot of people in this day and age, they can't say that. People are very hesitant to put themselves out there and and show who they truly are. Have you always had that confidence in yourself or is that always. something that's sort of grown with you? No, always. Since I was a little girl, I've felt a feeling pulling me, something calling me, like, Valerie, you're meant to be something big. Valerie, keep pushing, keep pushing. So since I was little, like all my friends going out partying, to their proms, et cetera. And I was always training, training taekwondo, training for an Olympic dream. Like I always had a vision for myself that I can't explain. I've always known my potential, my potential haunts me. I know what I could do with this world. And I know that the moment that I win four or five more fights and I get that belt, my name is, people are gonna know my name, right? So I really, I don't know. I just, I know who I am. I'm confident in it. I know that there's no other woman in the world that compares to me. I know that the talent I have in martial arts, my hardworking ethic, just my backgrounds, like my history with martial arts, like my family story, like it's just, it's too much. And I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to, I'm going to be the biggest name in this earth. Couple more things we let you go. I appreciate the time, Valerie. As as you continue to evolve as a fighter and take bigger steps towards the ultimate goals you want to capture in this sport, obviously your platform is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. What would you like to use that platform for once that happens? Once you reach that that status you want to be at, what would you like to do to maybe give back to martial arts, to the people, to the fans? Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, of course. I mean, I always walk out in my Taekwondo uniform. You know, my Bellator friends, I always walk out in my Taekwondo uniform because I represent Taekwondo. You know, a lot of people criticize it. It doesn't work in the cage, et cetera, but then everybody's copying me the next week, right? Everybody wants to do what I do. So my goal is to make it on a platform like I have that's going to allow me to influence the lives of everybody in the world. But apart from that, I just want to be a role model and example to other kids and especially young girls like me, like who feel like they could be judged for pursuing a passion that is in a male dominated industry, et cetera. Like, look at me, like I'm a hundred percent, like the most girly girl you've ever seen, 
But when I step into the cage, I transform into a fighter, you know? And that's really my message. I want to show people how beautiful martial arts is. Like, martial arts has made me the confident, um, disciplined, hardworking woman I am today. And I just, I want to influence the lives of other women. And I want girls to know how to defend themselves. I want girls to be um, confident. And really, I live like this every day to be an example to my sisters, but also use the platform to show other people and other parents that yes let your daughter do boxing yes let your daughter do taekwondo yes you know what i mean like it's not a like i don't know that's my passion i just i want to show people that you can be both you can be pretty and elegant and you can be a badass in the cage and it's who i am i'm not acting like this, this is who i am 100 percent of the time and um i feel like the world's gonna recognize it I know you haven't been able to train at ATT, and, and you talked about having great relationships with, with a lot of the fighters, Jorge Mazadal, Ioana and Jacek, you have a special bond with. What about Colby Covington? Like, I know Colby and Ioana, Colby and Mazadal, they've had their issues, Poirier at times as well. Colby, obviously a very brash guy. He said it's a gimmick, but a lot of people have told me Colby's a great teammate. He's a great guy. That persona is just a persona. It's not who he really is. What side of the fence are you on with Colby Covington, if you don't well, mind me asking? Well, honestly, um, George and I, we're both in Miami. We're signed to the same management. I love him to death. You know, we're on the same show, et cetera. So I just don't talk to Colby. Like, we train together, but I don't talk to him. You know, I'm 100% team Masvidal and um, team first-round management. And I don't get into that drama. I separate myself, and I'm just 100% team George. And uh, that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, last thing, what's the message to everybody, Valerie, when it comes to this crazy time in the world? I mean, this virus continues to do a lot of damage around the world, especially in the United States. It's a, like you said, it's a tough time for a lot of people. As someone who tries to sped, spread positivity as much as possible, what's the message for everybody to, to help us get through this crazy time in our lives? I mean, my message is that um, I think we should all think about this time that we have off from our work and our, our sports and our school, et cetera, um, positively, because this really has never happened before. And, and when do you get a break off of reality like this ever, you know? So my message is really to just take this time to like reflect and spend time with your family and, and just stay safe, stay home and really enjoy it. Like I know a lot of families are suffering, but if you're still in quarantine, like just enjoy this time off and make the most out of it because in the snap of your fingers, like our whole lives are going to go back to how they were. And you're going to think back on this time and be like, damn, I should have, um, I should have put more process into, put my thought into developing my business at home or, or just, you know, being an entrepreneur at home or start doing things that you've never been able to do because you're so caught up with your um, reality life. So um, that's my message. Just take this positively. Fighters, keep your weight down. Don't eat a lot. Uh, <laughs> keep your weight down. That's my biggest thing. Keep your weight down. Don't eat a lot. Uh, try to do some cardio. All I'm doing is running around my neighborhood, you know, and um, heal up your injuries. That's a big one, too, because we never get time off like this. I have a big problem in my neck and my knee, and I'm fixing it right now. So heal up our injuries and get our weight down, spend time with your family, and just enjoy this time we have off right now because this will never happen again. Well said, Valerie. I appreciate the time very much. There's obviously a lot of uncertainty in the in the combat sports world and around the world in general, but <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing that next step for you in the Bellator cage once things sort of get back to normal. Yes, so I cannot wait. I am done waiting. I am very anxious to fight. You have no idea. 
<laughs> well, <clears throat> excuse me. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, and uh, hope we can do this again down the road before your next fight. Yes, we will, Mike. Thank you so much. Thanks, Valerie. Bye. All right, that was Valerie Lareda. And I got to say, I like the approach Bellator is taking with her. They're building her slow. They're letting her get better. There's no need to throw her in there with the Alejandra Lara's of the world just yet. I think Bellator is doing everything right there. And uh, I, I was very happy to, to talk to Valerie for the first time. So earlier this week, I had the chance to catch him with Dominic Cruz. We haven't seen him compete since he lost a unanimous decision against Cody Garbrandt at UFC 207, dropping the Bantamweight title in the process. It's the first time that I had the chance to speak with Dominic. We discussed a lot in regards to his return, the rumor and innuendo regarding a fight with Corey Sandhagen. You know, he's supposed to be on the broadcast team, too, for UFC 249 on April 18th. A lot to get to with the Dominator. If you missed that conversation, here it is. So I, I, I think, Dominic, the question that people want the answer to, we had to switch over to a phone call here, especially since you posted a week ago to, quote, send location. I mean, it's been over three years since you've last competed. You've been trying to get back in that octagon, heal up, make sure that you're 100% ready to return. Have you been cleared to compete, Dominic, once we get back to normal? Well, see, that's a good question. The other thing is I want to take you to the I want to take you back to that post. What in, what in your mindset was the message through the send location? In my mindset, it was it was that you were clear and that you were ready. Plus, we had heard other things um, like the Corey Sandhagen post that he posted on Instagram. So I wasn't sure if those two coincided, if yeah. you were ready to go or not. And that's why I like um, asking these questions to interviewers and to like kind of set the record straight for the people too. Because like you said, um, send location was a mindset of, yeah, he's ready, he's ready to go. When actually, it's funny how like facts and experience of a situation, we can make a story from posts on social media. And I feel like this is what's going on around the world. So I appreciate you asking the question. The truth of the matter is I was actually just talking about Khabib Ferguson because I'm calling that fight. So I want to find the location of that fight so that I know where I'm calling it if it happens. Now we just got the news that it's not happening, that Khabib's out. They're going to move the fight somewhere else. I still don't know the location, and I'm still supposed to be calling that fight. So if I'm calling that fight, I want to know the location. So isn't it funny how we can see a post and we can make an entire story about it in our heads? And none of that's even the fact. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's really why I wanted to ask you about it, because I think a lot of people read that in, in, in the same way I did, as opposed to what was truth, what's reality and yeah. what these posts and actually. Isn't that great? That's why I love these interviews, because it can show the world how much our brains can make a story up and make it fact when none of it's fact. So where do you think you are in terms of your return and, and, and that that kind of thing? Well, then I'll move on to the next thing you asked and mentioned, which is Corey Sanhagen. Yeah. So that was a question. Now, what is your questions that you have about that so that we can clear up those misconceptions as well? Yeah, because he did post on Instagram that he was offered a fight with you for that San Diego event in May, and then he was waiting on you. And now there's reports coming out that he's fighting Aljamain Sterling instead, although the date isn't clear, just like, you know, most of these other fights at this point. So from your perspective, were you offered that fight? And if so, what happened with that? Well, yeah, that's what I, that's what I want to clear up, because I keep getting people asking me about Corey Sanhagen and that he took the fight and then he asked me or something. And I'm like, well, is that a fact or is that your experience again? Because I didn't talk to Corey Sanhagen. And if they offered him a fight, um, who, who said that I took it? Because what I heard, what I've heard is that he's saying that he took the fight and I didn't. 
well, my question is, who did he talk to that said that he offered that I got, you know, offered the fight and I said no, because what I know is there's only one common denominator between myself and any of the other fighters that might get matched up. Do we know the answer to that? Who is that person? I know the answer. Do, do you? Sean Shelby, right? Right. He's the matchmaker. Isn't that true? Don't we all know that in the whole world? We do. All right. So if Sean Shelby's the matchmaker and me and Corey Sanhagen don't talk, who is Corey Sanhagen getting his information from? He's getting it from the matchmaker. Where else would he get it? He's the only guy talking to the both of us, isn't he? Who else would be talking to Sanhagen if I'm not talking to him? So what Shelby does is he creates fights between the fighters before the fight happens so that he can get himself out of the way. That's my experience. It's not a fact. And what I'm getting from this is Shelby's telling Sanhagen something about me. Then Corey Sanhagen puts it out there and then expects me to bite. But really, it's like Sean Shelby told me in all reality that I said, how do I come back and get a title shot the fastest? And he said, you can get a title shot if you fight Jan, Peter Jan. And I said, all right, I want that fight. And he said, well, technically, that's a harder fight. So you get a title shot right after it. But we don't want to give you a title shot right after. So we will give you San Hagen before we give you a title, before you get Jan. And I was thinking, well, I want a title shot. I don't want to just fight somebody. I'm not here to fight. I'm here to fight towards the title. So I would fight anybody. Let me get the title shot after that fight. Peter Yan's the guy. So I said, yes, I'll fight Peter Yan. He said, well, Peter Yan's fighting Marais. I said, well, then I'll fight Marais or Peter Yan. Because those, those are the direct lines straight to the title. Those guys, I get a title shot. That's what I'm in this for. Not to fight 13 times beforehand. Now, if you're going to have me, if you're Sean Shelby, and you're going to have me fight a bunch of times before, okay, then I'll do it. But I'm going to take the fight when I'm 100% lined up sharp and ready my rep still building i'm still getting my timing i'm still getting my reps on the sparring as you see drills i'm still drilling and getting sharp so i'm going to fight in 2020 the real question i think is how do i get a title shot right when I, after i fight somebody and come back i want to fight somebody and after that fight let me go through fight, fight the best guys now shall be saying all this other stuff to for fighters and not talking to me about it. It's like you offered, you offered me Peter Yon to get a title. And then you switched it up. That's the truth. I said, I never said no to Hagen. I never would. I don't say no to fights. What I said no to was not fighting Peter Yon. I want to fight Peter Yon. I want to fight Marais. I want to fight for the title after I fight one of those guys. If you need me to come back and get one fight before I fight for the title, give me that guy you need to fight before I fight for the title. Well, thank you for clearing that up. So I guess time frame wise, there's so much going on right now, so it's hard to even pinpoint it. When are you sort of thinking in terms of looking at the calendar, when you'd like to return, if all sort of lines up the way you hope it will? Well, I always want to do that. Like we always want to go into the future, right? There's no peace in the future, is there? Because anybody know what's even going to happen in the present? We're in a virus pandemic right now. And it's funny to me that everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the future. We don't even know if I'm going to have a job. You don't even know if you're going to have a job. Why are we talking about my future fights? Realistically, we need to come together and figure out how to keep the sport going, not Dominic Cruz fighting. How do we keep MMA moving is the question for me. That, that's what matters to me because I'm part of MMA, but I can't fight 
Khabib can't fight. Tony Ferguson can't fight. Nobody in the UFC can fight until we beat this virus situation. It's shut down. We have one fight coming up. And one of the main events is already out. That fight was going to be the biggest fight ever, in my opinion. I was so looking forward to it. How do, you, how do you feel like this is being handled right now? Because I understand like both sides of the equation. Like I understand why Dana White wants to try to move forward with these events, give us a sense of normalcy, give the fighters something, you know, so they can make money and, and, and continue to provide for their families and households and things like that. But on the other end, you're right. We're in the middle of a, of a pandemic and a virus. And, you know, a lot of people feel like we should be waiting till that comes and goes and we get back to normal here. How do you feel that this is being handled in your opinion? Um, well, I think being handled exactly the way that you need to. I think there's a couple ways you can look at this. One could say, well, some people are probably saying, you know, you're, you're supposed to be on lockdown. Well, the, as far as I know, when this fight goes forward, they're going to follow the rules of the lockdown. There's going to be very limited people. This is going to be on television. So you're going to have two athletes fighting. Maybe commentate. This is all, this is not, I don't know anything. The UFC hasn't told me anything. Nobody really knows anything because they don't want any set in stone, you know? So realistically, if you follow the protocols, this fight can happen safely. I believe that in the right venue uh, on television, because there's not going to be people in the venue. So I think it is possible, but at the same time, I think it's a, it's a way to hype up the entire world. If you think about it, I mean, this is a real opportunity where in fighting we're the fastest growing sport in the world, and in fighting, we personify the idea of when you get hit, get back up and keep moving. If there was ever a sport that made sense to air during this virus time, it would be a fight, an MMA fight where the whole world is frozen, but you can't kill us completely. We still have some entertainment going on and we're staying safe when we do it. We're not letting the virus completely ruin every ounce of everything in the world. And I see it as somewhat of a motivation. Look, we can still live life. We can still grow. We can still fight. I mean, the entertainment that will be seen from that fight card when the, all sports are shut down. I mean, think of how many eyes are going to be on that. People are begging for entertainment in sports, in the sports realm. And if you could have it to where just two people could show up safely, be televised, and, and someone maybe commentating, explaining to the world what's going on in this sport, this could be the most seen fight in the history of ever. It has the possibility to do that. And I see that being a huge motivation for for all of the world right now, being as we're all in a pandemic and trying to stay in. I mean, we'll all have something to look to that's still going, that's still thriving, that's still growing, that still has drive and vision. And that would be, you know, fighters in these moments. Did you watch um, Submission Underground yesterday? Chael Sonnen put on that event. It was billed as the only sporting event in the world, and it went off, and they took different precautions. Chael commentated by himself in a different room than than the competitors. Did you get a chance to check that out at all? I did not check that out. However, that's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. You can see there that's still going on, and that's a grappling tournament. You know, and it's a, if, if that can happen, we can. there's no, no question that a fight can happen. There's no question. It can be done. And I believe that it's a good thing. I personally do. If you can make it happen safely, follow the protocols, and put out great entertainment in the fastest growing sport in the world, mixed martial arts, it's amazing. Now let's take it even a step further. Football, basketball, soccer, hockey, every mainstream sport, baseball, is shut down because of the size of the sport and the years that they've been around. 
MMA fighting has only been around for the past 25, 30 years, roughly, we'll say, just to push the envelope. But we're here in the slot where we can fill a gap, being all these big sports are shut down because it's been around so long and it's had so many years to build the growth. MMA hasn't had the time to build the growth, but we have a, an opportunity here to fill a gap. And when everything else is shut down, mixed martial arts keeps going. We find a way. And you know what? To me, that personifies fighting and fighters as well. No matter what, we figure it out. Most of us figure it out. We find a way. We're prize fighters. And the only way we make our money is by the prize. So you better believe we'll find any way we can to fight. And I think that that, that as a whole is what our country has to be in the mindset of. Now, stay inside, stay safe, but don't quit. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop living your life and being happy and joyful and in, in, in gratitude for the things that we have. And I think that going through and putting on this show and putting on these performances can really ignite that in people. So from an analyst perspective, you know, you mentioned already, it looks like Habib Nurmagomedov's not going to be able to fight. He's stuck in Russia. There's the travel ban going on and reports are coming out that Justin Gaethje has been offered as a potential replacement to fight Tony Ferguson. If you're Tony Ferguson, you've been waiting for this fight. You've won 12 fights in a row. You finally, for the fifth time, you're trying to put this fight together. Do you take a Gaethje fight if you're Tony Ferguson or do you wait until all of this settles and, and, and you can get Habib again? Well, if you heard everything I just said and you're in the mindset of that, then you take the fight. But if you're Tony Ferguson, you're probably not thinking of anything that I just said at all. And you're still going to take the fight just because you're Tony Ferguson. That's what Tony Ferguson is. Of course, he takes that fight. No question in my mind, Tony Ferguson takes that fight. That's what he is, period. I really don't think that it's even a, a slight question for him. That's how much of a beast that guy is in his head. He has this thing in his head. And that's to me, what makes him the most, what makes him championship status is his mindset period. And so I don't believe that would even make him blink. And then from Gaethje's standpoint, he's come out publicly and said multiple times, you know, he, he doesn't like taking short notice fights. He likes a full training camp. And I, and I, that's very respectable on his part since he's made it public, you know, what does that mean to him? And, in, in terms of the matchup with Ferguson, if this fight were to happen, how do you think he matches up with him? Well, he matches up really well, but he's he was being uh, sharp in his vulnerability to admit the fact that he likes a full training camp. But if you watch Gaethje, you know why. Why would Gaethje find it so important to have a full training camp? Well, because he counts on his cardio. He counts on his durability. And that's going to, the, the level that he exudes those things, cardio and durability, he needs an eight-week camp, I would assume, and that's probably what I would, what he's thinking, to have himself at that highest level. So to take a five-round title fight on short notice against Tony Ferguson, unless he's been training in case this fight didn't come through, which is a possibility. Dana, um, Dana and UFC, Sean Shelby, the matchmakers are smart. So they know how to get people on the background to stay training and stay healthy in case somebody gets hurt. You know what I mean? So if that was happening, I think Gaethje would be great for this. If he hasn't been training, if he says so himself that he doesn't like taking short notice fights, I would say from, from watching film, that's my guess as to why he likes to be in extremely good shape and push the cardio envelope on people. Well, if there's one guy you're going to need that cardio envelope, it's going to be against Tony. So I think it's a harder fight on short notice for Gaethje than it is for Tony, but Gaethje definitely matches up extremely well with Tony, but even better if he gets a full training camp, 100%. 
on a scale of one to 10, and I know you're, you're, you're calling this fight. You made some great points about MMA and fighting and how this event has a, still has a good chance of moving forward. It's the fighting mentality, but on a scale of one to 10, what, how likely is UFC 249 going to take place on April 18th in your opinion? Yeah. Well, if you've heard, if you've heard Dana, um, what has he said? He said it's happening. So on a scale, of one, I think the real question is on a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust Dana's word? He's adamant. So I, I'm I like, it's, it, if, if I'm, if I'm going by what he says, if I'm going off of his energy, that it's like a thousand, but just considering where the world is right now and travel restrictions and all that stuff, that there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. And he's admitted as such that he's have every day he wakes up, there's another curveball thrown his way. So which do you believe? Do you believe in his curveball story or do you believe in the thousand percent, two thousand percent that you said you believed? I believe if it was up to him and he could make it happen, it's going to happen. But again, there's still a lot of things going on that that are in his way. So you don't believe it's up to him completely? I don't think it's up to him completely. Yeah, you think it might be other things. And that's why you're saying, eh, so what percentage of a scale of one to 10, 10 being it's going to happen, zero being it's not, with all the other things that are in his way, what percent, what number do you give? I'll give it a four. Okay, that's good. I would give it an eight personally, because I think that he knows something we don't. And if they're trying to replace Khabib, why would they do that? If there wasn't a chance of this fight going on, they would just scratch it with Khabib being out. That's what I think. So, uh, and I think that Dana has enough connections and we've seen him with Trump. I mean, if he's not talking to Trump right now, I would actually be a little bit surprised. We're finding some way to communicate with how to make this event happen. I, w- I would be surprised. I really think that Dana has the opportunity to make this happen. I really think he can do this. And I hope it does. Because like I said, all those things that I said about the sport, this is our opportunity to fill a gap and be there for the nation, be there for the world to give entertainment and show what it looks like, uh, even through a pandemic that the human spirit doesn't really stop ever. Never really quit. A couple more things we let you go, Dominic. I mean, there's just so much to talk about because you wear so many hats and you come from different perspectives when it comes to fighting and in the UFC. But, um, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't ask your thoughts about the big news from last week, John Jones and, and everything that's going on with him, that, that video of him being arrested was, was really tough to watch. What was your reaction to that news? Well, like you said, it was tough to watch, you know, I'm actually going to put out a statement about that today and you can look it up on my social media. So make sure you go to dominiccruz.com for exactly that statement. And then uh, we'll end on, on, on a brighter note. I, I wanted to get your take on this last week, or maybe it was like two weeks ago, Cub Swanson came out and made a suggestion of possibly putting together like a WEC themed event, kind of like what WWE did with ECW back in the day in the pro wrestling world. I think that would be a really cool outside of the box thing to, to put together for the UFC. What say you being a former WEC Bantamweight champion, do you think that's something that would be cool to put together? Would you want to be involved in something like that? I don't know what, um, what a new WEC event would look like. I'm not real sure what Cub was uh, referring to. I didn't read any of that. So, um, I don't know what that would entail at all. It would look like a WEC event. I mean, obviously it would be, you know, sort of like the UFC did with the 25th anniversary special. They kind of made it look like a throwback to the old days. They had the posters made up in a certain way and and maybe just do the, the weight classes that were featured in WEC and just make it have that kind of a feel. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's a way to highlight the lighter weight classes, 
which are now shining more than ever. I would say the 135 pound weight class is more on fire than I've ever seen it in the history of any of the sport. Really. I think it's one of the toughest divisions in the sport right now. And it wasn't like that for, you know, a lot of years, um, as it was growing and now it's grown, 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 grown. Now it's big and sharp. So I think 35, 45, 25, it's good for those weight classes being as they're kind of newer. Um, and I, why would anybody be opposed to that? Uh, they, we've done the numbers in the WEC. It would kind of put the WEC on highlight and show that we were some of the best fighters in the world before we became the best fighters in the world in the UFC. And it would kind of highlight our careers before we got there. Cause realistically WEC fighters were in the UFC it's just that we were called the WEC, but the UFC owned us back then. Right. So that's why there's even this conversation is because we've been UFC fighters since the WEC started. Just nobody knew that. This is amazing, man. I, I could do this for another hour easily. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the time. Great stuff. Uh, all the best to you, Dominic, during this crazy time. Hopefully we get a location for you to uh, to call this fight on April 18th. Uh, stay healthy and safe and uh, look forward to seeing you back in the octagon at some point. But obviously we have more important things to, to deal with right now. Yeah, let's put our prayers out and our positive wishes. And I encourage everybody in the world to stay in something every single morning when you wake up that you're in gratitude for because being in gratitude, it's impossible to be in fear. And that's the key. Well said. Thank you, Dominic. I appreciate it. Great stuff from Dominic Cruz there. One of the best minds in the sport. No doubt about that. And uh, I felt like I was getting interviewed for most of that conversation, which which I appreciate from Dominic Cruz. As we head to our final guest of the show, let's say hello to Mickey Gall. All right, as we move ahead to our final guest of the show, him and I, we've been having these conversations for years at this point, since right after UFC 195, when a promo for Dana White's looking for a fight aired on the broadcast, and a young man got on the microphone and called his shot, calls out CM Punk right in front of Dana White, and three months later, he made his UFC debut, and has been quite the ride for one Mickey Gall, who joins us on the show. Mickey, good to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Good to see you, my brother. It's good to see you, too. It's great to have you here. How is uh, quarantine life been treating you, Mickey? It's a crazy time in the world, that's for sure. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Um, it's funny. I, uh, you know, like, you know, you and me, obviously, we go back a long time. Mike Heck, Mick Gall, the four-letter boys. We, you know, <laughs> we've, done, we've done a lot of these. But this week, man, everybody wants to wants, – all the MMA reporters want to talk and do interviews. And I'm like, damn, I don't know what to tell anybody. I don't know when I'm fighting next. I don't know what's going on. I don't know uh, what Khabib and Tony are doing. Uh, you know, no, no. It's like, uh, so it's a little bit of a weird time, a little bit of a lull. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm happy to be here and just chop it up with you and, uh, you know, catch up. It's like the good, you know, just going back to the good old times, you know, when life was a lot simpler. Yeah, no, it's 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 very simple right now. <laughs> life is very simple right now. <laughs> life is very simple. Um, I yeah, man, I. It's uh, it's interesting. I think uh, not to not to go conspiracy, dude. But I think there's something else at play here. But uh, I'm hoping that all this stuff will at least make us realize what's important, help us appreciate normal life, and uh, yeah, just be you know, hopefully, just being being everyone be nicer to each other, and uh, you know, just appreciate the small things that we take for granted. Well, I have to know what else you think is in play here, Mickey. Man, I don't know shit. I don't know. I don't know shit. They don't tell me, but uh, you know they don't tell us. Um, who knows, man? Who knows? It could be they. They could be doing bad. They could, 
I, I want I like to think that maybe they're doing some good, maybe cleaning up some some stuff, maybe putting some bad uh some like bad people who've come into power away. But how much of me believes that? Like less than one percent. Um I, I guess if I was being objective I'd probably say there's something a little more darker at play. You know, when is it not? Uh but I'm gonna I'm gonna remain optimistic. Well, that's all we can do, it man. Does see, it seems a little like a sleight of hand, right? Like everyone's got to stay in their home. We're going to worry about this thing while what's going on over here, you know? Who knows? I mean, I see what's going on in the news. I try to stay positive. That's that's all I can do. Maybe there is other factors in play. I don't really know. I'm just, you know, like you said, trying to take it one day at a time, be nice to people, and uh, spread that positive juju. And you're doing that as well because I, I did see a post on Instagram. I wanted to start off with this. You know, you're, you're trying to help by – Feeding those in need, those who can't afford to eat right now, and a lot of people have lost their jobs. They're struggling financially, and I thought you at least putting that out there was was really refreshing. I know you've been visiting and volunteering at St. Anne's Soup Kitchen in Newark for for a long time now. What does this cause in particular mean to you? Um, it it, it means a lot. It's you know it 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 feels it's it's rewarding. Like when you give back, and when you like are able to, like you know if it, when you're able to do you know, spend your time to help other people. It makes you feel good. I don't, you know, there's not, it's, 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 you know, it sounds funny. It's like, because you're helping them and it's, and it's important, you know, it's such a fundamental need needing to eat. It's so, so basic, you know, everyone needs to do it. We do it so many times a day, whatever. But some people, especially people who lose, they don't have money to buy. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They, you know, they don't know what's, what's happening there. So, um, St. Anne's, I'd, I'd been volunteering since I was like 13. My, uh, with like my mom, my sister, and now my mom's actually the director of that kitchen. She uh, took like a bigger role with them, and she's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm really proud of her. It's, it's cool stuff. She's, she's able to, you know, she like, bit, she's been a hero through this uh, coronavirus thing. She's out there, you know, mi- mixing up with people so to make sure people aren't going hungry. And uh, so I'm really proud of her. And uh, I, you know, myself, I sponsored a family. I, I just, I, you know, I don't want to see, I don't want to hear if. Or see people going hungry, so I just wanted to, you know, use my little little following I had to hope and hopefully be able to, uh, you know, feed some people, you know, keep keep some people alive, keep some people healthy during this this shitty time. I'm sure things have changed there with everything going on because you know you can't have large gatherings. So like like I know in the Boston yeah. area, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people who are in need without a pandemic, and I'm sure that number is growing even more so now. I mean, it's not the dead of winter in the Northeast, but it's still pretty Thank damn God. cold out, man. But uh, you know, some of these people they don't have heat or hot water or, or don't even have shelter at all. So I'm sure it means a lot to them to see you, to see your mom as they pick up their food. Since I assume. You know they have to take it to go, but I'm sure these visits exactly. mean a mean a lot to you as well, especially in these chaotic times. Yeah, absolutely. You know, being able to go over there and help it definitely it it really feels good. That's what I try and like tell people like who when people are saying like they're they're feeling like they're missing something or you know they they're having you know angst and, and struggles like trying to just give back. That's that's gonna that's gonna hit those reward systems right away. That's gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna feel better about yourself. You're gonna feel good about what you did. You feel like you accomplished something, um, but yeah, their 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 kitchen is closed that is shut down because they can't have all the gatherings. So they're doing all to go meals. Um, so it's 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 good. It's been going really well. Uh, a lot of people have been getting fed, and you know, for lack of a better word, been kind of saved during this this crappy time. Where they're gonna instead of resorting to you know doing something worse, they can go get get food, and you know, every, everybody's happy. 
One thing I noticed when I saw that Instagram post, like if you scroll down at the top of a lot of your comments on Instagram, you see Chuck Zito in there, Chucky the Enforcer, Frankie oh, Diamonds. Yeah. Like I know you've met a lot of cool people in your day, but uh, have you gotten the chance to to rub elbows in person with with Chuck Zito? No, no. Uh, me and Chuck are, are just uh, Instagram friends more, but uh, I do. I've been a fan of Chuck Zito forever. Who who doesn't? You know, everybody kind of like wants to be Chuck Zito. Chuck Zito is a total man's man. Uh, you know, he's motorcycle gang tatted up, bodyguard. You know, tough guy. Uh, so yeah, Chuck Zito. Uh, Chuck Zito's the man. Uh, yeah, Uncle Chuck. Do you remember your first interaction with him on Instagram? Did he comment on something you did, or how did that all happen? Um, I think so. I think we we were like following each other, and uh, just you know, just like showing love and stuff. He he always puts up cool shit. Um, and yeah, he just uh, yeah, just you know, just Instagram friends. This is a cool world, man. I kind of, I kind of, I uh, kind of resisted it resisted it a little bit at first not not the chuck zito thing it just even the instagram world because it's weird because like if you don't know people in person it's like how do i really know you know that you know what i mean but it's cool i've been able to like you know make make other connections and reach out and, and make some good friends through uh instagram the, the last time we spoke you were uh you were coming off the win in newark and you were getting prepared to fight carlos condit in washington dc and as everybody knows right by now Carlos was injured, forced out of the fight. You know, it's a part of the fight game. Injuries happen, but man, how disappointing was that for you? Because I know how much you wanted that fight. Yeah, it sucked. It sucked. Um, but I, you know, it's all good. It's all good. I got, I got uh, bigger plans than that. I was just, uh, just, uh, you know, just a, a stepping stone along the way. Um, it it would have been awesome, but you know, I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. It's not. It does. It, that's not going to make or break me. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. I, I'd say I'm, I moved past it now, but, uh, it sucks, man. It's, it's the worst. And it, and who knows, it'll probably happen again that, uh, I'll, I'll lose an opponent. You know, it's, it's a crazy sport that we do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I, I hope he's doing well. Uh, he's, he's a true legend and, uh, you know, dude, I've looked up to and a lot of people in my generation looked up to, uh, so it would have been an honor, you know, I, yeah, it would have, yeah, it would have been an honor to, to get in the ring with him. Once the news came out, I'm sure you saw this, but everybody and their brother started calling you out, wanting to, to replace Carlos. And I even had, I didn't even tell you this, I had fighters texting me asking me about it, which was pretty bizarre and surreal. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what am I going to do? But, uh, you know, as much as you wanted to get in there and compete from a business standpoint, I didn't think you taking a fight with a guy making his UFC debut or anything like that after signing to fight Carlos Condit, I didn't think that made a whole lot of sense. Was that how you looked at it as well? Um no, I, I I wanted to fight. I wanted to get paid and stuff. It, um, the the UFC didn't didn't maybe the UFC didn't think so because they didn't really bring me any of these any of these guys' names. Uh, and, and the UFC didn't present me with any of like of like these guys' names. Like I've I've heard people like be like, yeah, I tried to get that fight with him, and he said no. They I didn't say no. They obviously didn't think enough of these people to even offer them to me. So I yeah I uh. Yeah, it was kind of weird. They at the at the last moment they uh we we tried to make a Cowboy Oliveira fight and uh that just kind of fell apart. But uh that was the only that was the only name the UFC floated my way. No one no one else was offered to me. Just Cowboy. 
what happened with that cowboy fight? Because they they announced it, and then like ten days later, they said it wouldn't be happening. I don't, I don't really know. It was kind of, it was it was kind of weird. I I, I don't I don't really know. There wasn't really much reasons given. Uh, I, I you know, I'm not really sure. Because then he fought a week later, which I thought was even more strange. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, one thing you've continued to do is get work in other gyms, get some different looks. I know you spent a good amount of time in Ohio over the last few months training with guys like Matt Brown, Mark Coleman, and a host of others. I mean, working with guys like Matt and Mark, two veterans, two guys who have just a ton of fight experience and a lot of life experience too. It's hard not to take something away from each session and each conversation with those guys. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that was, that was an awesome, uh, awesome experience. Something that we'll, you know, we'll be continuing to do. Me and my, uh, my brother LJ Raboli. We this we went out there. It was like the third time we went out there. Um, and yeah, training with Matt's great. You know, Matt's just as advertised. He's you know tough, uh, nice dude. But but uh, you know he eats, trains, and sleeps. So we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing out there. We're just working and we're working hard. And that's what that's what we like to do too. So that's great. And yeah, Coleman. Col- you know, Coleman's a legend too. Uh, he's he's out of his mind. But uh, <laughs> nah, <laughs> Coleman's awesome. Coleman's awesome. Always, I I, I like Coleman a lot. I, uh, I you know I was a fan of him, and I, I've I've become an even bigger fan getting to, uh, to know him personally. How much has that helped you grow from a mental perspective? Because you've had a lot of great mentors in your life, guys like Jim Miller, David Adib, of course, and then you've gotten with guys like Eve Edwards and Donald Cerrone and a host of others. You know, how much has that helped you grow from a mental perspective, being around all these guys and conversing with them? Uh, greatly, greatly for, for sure. You know, I, I, uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, learning yeah skills and, and mentally just, you know, how, how can you not, um, if you're a young hungry fighter, how can you not, uh, you know, grow from spending time with guys like that? It's, you know, it's like an, almost like an apprenticeship in, in some other job. I, th- I think it's necessary. You got to go around and mix, mix up with the best guys in the world. And uh, how are you going to be the best if you don't fuck with the best? You know what I mean? So I, I, I like to go and uh, spend time with the, with the best in the world. We're at a, in a very interesting time right now in the sports world. And while many leagues and organizations, even combat sports promotions, are hitting the brakes on the calendar, the UFC, they're actively looking to stay the course with everything going on right now. Does that excite you knowing that Dana and the UFC, they, they, they want to give the world a sense of normalcy here? Yeah, I do. I, I, I totally get where where Dana's coming from, um, and I I think he's right. You know, if if we can, you can, you know, test the fighters, put us in a in a cage. We don't need an audience, but let's put something on the TV, something that you know people can do and stuff like that. I I I'd spoken with Dana, and he uh, I'm I you know I'm I'm not too worried, especially based on what he's saying. He you know he made it very clear that once once this shit is over, like UFC's gonna be on and popping. Like I have a feeling there's going to be like Thursday, Friday, Saturday cards this summer because he's very adamant about getting everybody three fights this year. Um, so I, I don't know exactly how they're going to do that. That's that's kind of my what I'm thinking is uh, they're going to like almost have like International Fight Week like several times. You know how they do like those those cards like back to back to back. Um, so I'm not too worried. I, I do appreciate as not just like you know so, so a UFC fighter, but also just like a fan like. That Dana's, you know, Dana's breaking his balls trying to put, uh, trying to put this stuff on for 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 everybody, not just you know for him, 
not just like for himself and his company, his pockets, but like he's trying to to provide an a, an outlet for everybody who's stuck at home uh, right now. Have you been approached about fighting at UFC 249 at all? I've not. I've not. But I I've, I spoke with my uh, manager Dave Martin. Um, and I told him, you know, I'm I'm ready to, uh, like, yeah, we're we're ready to hop in. If something comes along, we're we're gonna be ready. From our last couple of conversations, I mean, you're you're at a point where you're down to fight anybody. You you did list a few names like. Diego and Mike Perry, obviously, if Conda popped up, you're, you'd probably jump on that at this point. What's a what, what's sort of like the A1 fight you want next? Should it be available to you? Like if they can make it happen, who do you want to get in there with? Um, I don't really, I don't, I don't really have one because I, I feel like if I lo- if I try and like lock myself in too hard, almost like I, I guess kind of coming off the Conda fight, I don't know if I'd want to, I don't know if I trust Conda to make it to the fight. You know what I mean? So it's like I, I don't I don't really know. I want someone who really wants to fight and not that he doesn't. I just you know, I, I just you you just mentioned that name and that's I I, I don't know. I I'm a little I'm a little perplexed on that one. I don't want to get already and then two weeks out again that fall through. Um but yeah, Perry would be a good one. I got a feeling we're gonna be doing that in the next uh within the next year or maybe even sooner. Um Probably, probably not gonna get Diego again. Uh, but that's all right. That's more of a personal, you know. I slipped on a, my my kidney banana peel in that one, and uh, you know that's on me. I'll just have to own that. And uh, but uh, yeah, man, whoever, whoever, I, you know, I'm I, I'm ready. I'm ready to make weight, you know, a lot, and uh, I'm feeling great and want want to put on a show. Get I just want to get in that top fifteen and then get a title contention over the next few years. You know, uh, I, it's belt or bust. If if you know if if I don't come away, if I don't end, end my career with a belt, uh, I'm it's 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 a bust for me. So that's just really important. What did you think of the Diego Pajeda fight and how that all played out, and then sort of the aftermath of it all with with Diego and his coach going and doing the media tour and the media rounds nah, and stuff? That's all weird shit. I don't really want to talk about it. So <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's just weird shit. You know, I yeah, I get where people are coming from. I I yeah yeah. Fair enough. I was looking at uh, you do have an IMDb profile, but you're missing a credit. Oh yeah, we're Spencer Confidential. You're in there. It's not, not for there. long, but you're in there. What is it? But I have an IMDb. I don't even know. I got to check that out. Yeah, you're on. It's uh, anytime you're on Ariel show, <laughs> it made it up there. Uh, embedded series, things like that. It puts you up there. But I was looking. Spencer Confidential is not there. No Spencer Confidential, huh? Well, I got a, I got a new one uh, that's coming out where I actually have like some lines and I, I, I get in a bar fight with uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. It's coming out this summer. Uh, it's, it's the movie's called Mickey Kelly. So uh, hopefully that'll that'll get me get me back uh, back on IMDb. Is that going on the? Is that theaters? Netflix? Where's that coming out? I don't really I don't know exactly. I'm not sure. Um, I I don't know. I think they're still in like the post production stuff, but it's cool. It's uh cool opportunity i got to do this summer in uh petaluma california but yeah i get i get a, get a nice little fight scene uh it's called girl bitch it's pretty sweet <laughs> did you th- <laughs> did you think that you'd be in movies four years three four five years later um i um i don't know no i didn't i, I guess i didn't think it i guess i didn't think it but it's uh it's fun it's kind of like uh it's kind of it's kind of like fighting where they're like ready set go now you got to do like the right thing you got to do the but you know way less consequences but i still get a little like a little buzz from it so i enjoy it and i definitely will be doing more of that uh but i'll never let it uh 
screw with my training. With the way I train, you know, if anything, I'm I'm always tinkering and borderlining on overtraining. And uh, when I get like these these like film opportunities, I can still you know train and do stuff. But it makes me kind of have something else going on where I can you know almost like relax a little bit. Um, so I, I really enjoy these. I know pe- you know people might be. And who cares? I don't care. You know, people are always going to have their opinions, but uh, might think like, "Oh, how could you? You got to focus all." The- I trust me, my focus is you know is undeterred. But um, these, these are nice uh, little extra things that that are cool. Do you feel like you've caught sort of the acting bug a little bit? Yeah, maybe so- something to do after fighting. That I think that that'd be a cool thing uh, for me to get involved in and do after fighting. But uh, I got some heads to crack and some some belts to win beforehand. Last thing before we let you go, Mickey, this is a uh, a chaotic time in the world, like we talked about. For anybody watching right now, what's what's the message for everybody, the fans, the media, people outside of the MMA realm? You know, what, what's your sort of positive message for everybody to sort of stick together and get through this whole thing? Yeah, I'd say you know, stay patient. Um, I know we've never seen anything like this before. Or I don't even remember hearing anything like this before. Um, I'd say just stay patient, try not to buy into too much of the fear, but at the same time, you know, have a healthy fear and do the right things. Be, don't be selfish, but, uh, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I just stay patient and, uh, you know, just remember who we all are. Remember who you are. Don't let this uh, weird time away from your job and all the things that define you and that you, you know, find your identity in. Don't now that you're they're taken away and shipped away don't let it forget that who like who you are you know what i mean i think that's an important thing just you know remember who you are and uh stay patient well said always great chat with you man i'm glad to see you doing amazing things it's been a uh, quite the road for you and i both and and like i told you when it came to putting on this first show i just knew you had to be a part of it and it means a lot that you would be and all the best to you mickey stay safe and healthy and we'll talk soon man thanks man it means a lot to me that you would have me and uh, i'm proud of you congrats uh, I you know I know you're gonna keep doing big things in uh, the MMA world, and I think MMA fighting is a great uh, platform for you. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm happy for you. And any anytime you want to do this again, just let me know. All right, man. I appreciate the time. Take care, Mike. There he is, Mickey Gall, wrapping up the debut edition of What the Heck on MMAfighting.com. Again, this show is gonna drop every Thursday on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel and everywhere you find your favorite podcast. So make sure you drop the old uh, the old hammer fist on the subscribe buttons, get those episodes immediately upon release. And of course, all the other great programming on the site, A-Side, Eurobash, et cetera. With that being said, that is it for this very first show. Thank you all very much. You can follow me on Twitter at MikeHeck underscore JR. Until next week, have a heck of a week, everybody. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.